I was studying, you know, um, Alex. A lot of you guys know that Alex is on staff and guy. Blessing. He's a true blessing to the church. But he, you know, he's kind of been struggling about just the hours that he spends here at church, the sacrifice of the ministry, uh, and his child and his son, Jeremiah. And it was cool the other day. He says, hey, look, look at what, what, what Jeremiah sent me. I think we have a, a little graphic here. I think. I think. There you go. See, doesn't it look like Alex? It says, best dad. His name is Alex. Uh, my favorite memory of my dad is when we played football. This is what he always says. I love you. Uh, his, this, here's his favorite thing to eat, uh, soup. <laughs> it's pretty cool. My dad's pockets are full of his phone. Yeah, figure. My dad's 22 years old. He's good at doing homework. And when he comes home from work, he likes to hug me. Now, this makes any dad laugh when I say funny stuff. And so I just thought, man, it's so cool. Children, they need, they need their fathers, don't they? Desperately need their fathers. And, and fathers know how important um, you are uh, to your children. Proverbs 17, 6 B says, the glory of children is, is their father. And being a father, it's hard, and yet it's so cool. My wife and I, we have three boys, 24, 15, and 6. All nine years apart, how that happened, I have no idea. Uh, and we love, we love our kids the same. But there's something special about having a, a little one at home. How many of you guys have maybe a little one at home? I would say about between 4 and 6, something like that. They're cool, huh? It's, a, it's such a cool age. Because uh, they're, they're still innocent, I mean, you start to kind of see their, their personality. Um, a lot of you guys know that my little boy, he's six years old, his name is Isaac. And he is a, he's a trip, that guy. When my wife kind of tells me something sarcastic, very rarely, never, you know, very, very rarely. Um, you know what he does, this guy? He, he, he's doing whatever he's doing, playing video games, watching TV or that. He, he turns around and he looks at me with his eyes wide open and he says, Burn! <laughs> little instigator, you know, little little sinner. Where does he where does he get this? You know, when I was his age, things like that would go over my head. But these kids, I don't know what they're feeding them. They're really really smart. Six years old, you you really gotta pray. They keep you on your toes. They keep you on your knees. I heard of a, 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 little, a little boy named Sammy who, after being tucked in one night for bed, um, after his parents left the room, they heard him sobbing um, from his room. And so, of course, you know, loving parents, they rushed back in and they found him crying hysterically. And he managed, through crying, to tell him that he had swallowed a penny and he was sure he was going to die. How many of you guys have been through that before? So no amount of talking that his parents did try to, to appease this little boy, Sammy. So his father, who who fathers were, were smart, were smart and quick thinkers, huh? He reached in his pocket and he, he palmed a penny from his pocket and he pretended as he took it out to take it from Sammy's ear. You know that old magic trick? Let me take it from your ear. And so Sammy was so delighted, his eyes lit up. And he took the penny from his dad's hands and he swallowed it and he said, Daddy, do it again, do it again. They'll keep you on your knees. They'll keep you on your knees, six years old. Watch out what you say around them, too. I'm sure you've heard about the, the preacher that after church service, a six-year-old little boy told the pastor, when I grow up, pastor, I'm going to give you some money. And so the pastor thought, wow, yeah, my teaching is actually helping, you know, tithing, Sunday school, they're doing a good job. But he turned to the little kid and he said, well, thank you, but, but why? 
And the little kid says, because my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. <laughs> Be careful what you say around your six-year-old. They're fun. Being a father is cool, and Isaac has brought so much life to our house. And I thank God. We named him Isaac because, if, if, I don't know if you know, but that main, name means laughter. Right? Remember when, when Abraham found out he was going to be a dad at about 1,000 years old, right? And they laughed. And so when my wife told me that we were pregnant, I was 40, and I laughed. And so I said, okay, the perfect name is, is Isaac. So because we're observing Father's Day today, I wanted to, to kind of consider the subject of, of fatherhood. So we're going to be looking at, a, I think, a very familiar story for a lot of us. And, and yet, while familiar, I think it's so powerful. It's so far, powerful because through it, we get a glimpse uh, of the Father's heart. That's what I titled this message, the, the Father's Heart. And so four things that I want us to consider to kind of chew on. Number one, being the Father's function, um, his purpose, his responsibility. Number two, being the Father's pain, um, the reality of pain and, and what that teaches us. Number three, being the Father's joy, the Father's hope and the Father's faith. And number four, being the Father's love, his, his reason and his truth. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 15, would you? While you're turning there, I just want to give you the context um, using three parables, Jesus was schooling a group of Pharisees and scribes about the heart of God towards sinners, while at the same time teaching the so-called sinners, the tax collectors and sinners who were there listening to Jesus a thing or two. Luke 15, which is the, the beginning here, it starts off by saying in verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying. And so the first parable involved the, the shepherd who had 99 sheep, but after losing just one of them, decided to leave the 99 in hope of finding the lost one. The second parable involves a, a woman who desperately turned her house over, her, furnitures, her furniture over to look for one lost coin. And then the third parable, which is what we're going to be covering today, involves two sons and a father. It's a story that we all know as the prodigal son. But instead of it being a story that, that involves the, the, the prodigal son and the hardened brother, I really want to kind of look at it from a different angle. I want to look at it from the angle of the father's heart. I really want to even rename this parable, calling it the parable of a loving father, because I think that as fathers... It's going to teach us. We are, life, having children, has already taught us. But to get this example from God the Father, which is what this parable is depicting, is, is great for us as fathers. So let's start here in verse 11. Let's read. It says, Then he said, A certain man had, had two sons. It's pretty easy, huh? This, this certain man was a father. Today he would have gotten at least a, a Father's Day card from his sons, wishing him Happy Father's Day, right? There was a study done a couple years ago that billions more are spent on moms on Mother's Day than on Father's Day. Just saying. Moms, you deserve it. You deserve it. I, today I was buying bread for, for Father's Day. And by the way, we really wanted, you know, the moms got carnations, right, for Mother's Day, and, and we didn't give the fathers anything. I wanted to put some T-bone steaks out there. It didn't work out. But what we do is we have coffee and bread for you, sweet bread. Right? And dads, I think you prefer that, right? So, so make sure that you, uh, that you grab some on the way out. But the first point that I want to make that, that, that 
the father, his responsibility and his function is to take care of his kids. What do you mean? As a father, what was his purpose and his responsibility? Well, we know that he was a father, right? Because it says he had two sons, verse 11. But we also know that just because one has father children doesn't mean that you're a father to them. Um, as, as I enroll, as we enroll this, this parable, I want us to consider who this man shows himself to be, not by what he said, but, but by what he did. And as we read along, we're going to see that he's even, he was an example. Huh? He was, a, he was a, a hard worker. He was an entrepreneur. He, he worked this land. He had property. He had land. He was a teacher. He, he taught his sons how to work, how to be faithful in the work, and how to be faithful to him and to God. And he was also a provider, providing for his son's needs now, the present, and also in the future. And that's why Proverbs 22.6b says, the glory of children is their father. I forgot where I heard this, but somebody on TV, I think, says, I don't need a man to have a child. I don't know how that would work, but I guess you're right. You don't need a man to have a, 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 a child, but that child needs a father in order to thrive. You're doing a disservice to that child if the father is not present. Study has shown that children that have both mother and father live longer, healthier lives, both physically and mentally, do better in school, are more likely to graduate and attend college, are less likely to live in poverty, are less likely to be in trouble with the law, are less likely to drink or do drugs, are less likely to be violent or sexually active, are less likely to be victims of sexual or physical violence, and are less more likely to have successful marriages when they're older. A father's influence is so, so important. But Henry, it's just a parable, yes. But I would say that Jesus used this parable of the prodigal son to teach us how a father and son relationship should be. The Bible uses the title of father 965 times. And as believers, I think our responsibility is, is of course, God first. If we're married, and hopefully we are, um, it's our, our marriages. We've got to take care of that. But our, our, our kids, they, they come next. They come next. A father's purpose and responsibility is to be the best example that they could be to their children. Amen? It's to provide for them. It's to care for them. It's to nurture them. It's, it's to love them. And so let's continue here reading this parable. Verses 12 and 16 says, And the younger of them, of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him any. So this leads us to, to point, point number two, a, a father's pain. All, all the parents, all the dads here know that our hope is that our children would have better lives than we did. Amen? That's what we want. As believers, I think it goes even further, doesn't it? As believers, we, we want them to, to, to know the Lord. We want nothing more than for our children to know the true meaning of life. And what's the true meaning of life? Well, a family, a house with a white picket fence, 
the ability to travel to nice rides, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No. That isn't the meaning of life. What the meaning of life is, and I like how the Westminster Confession puts it, is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Listen to this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We repeat that. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Well, that's blasphemy. What do you mean, Henry, to say that? No, don't you get it? God is most glorified in us when we get it, when we truly get it. We're going to see a picture of two sons who didn't get it, two sides of the coin. But God is most blessed, he is most glorified when our hearts truly get who he is, when our hearts know who he is, truly because he lives in us, because his spirit dwells within us. The third, the third epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 4, says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Is that the truth Mark mentioned today? And the same thing I told my son. My son said, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? I said, a Ferrari and come with me to church. You know? Of course, that's what we want. We don't, what, could, what do we want? What do we, what do we want that we don't have? What we want is for them to walk with the Lord, huh? for them to know the Lord, for them to enjoy the Lord. When the younger son here had the audacity, he had the audacity to ask his father for an inheritance. What do you think he was telling his dad? As he was saying, hey, cut me my part. Give me what belongs to me. He was telling him, I can't wait for you to die. I want it now. Give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. I want what's coming to me, and I want it now. Even though this younger son, we assume, was of age, we, who have small children, um, they're, they're still under our control. They're still under our house. If we're paying for you know, the, the, their, their board and care, if we're feeding them, then they're our responsibility. Don't confuse it. We're not talking about smaller children. We, we can and we, we, we shouldn't give up control. Sometimes I see children controlling their kids. Or I see some children controlling their parents, excuse me, and that's not right, huh? Tony Evans says, that many people spend more time training their dogs than they spend training their children. We have to discipline them while there's still time. Proverbs 19.18 says, it clearly tells us that we're to chasten our sons while there's still hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. But one day our, our, our children are no longer going to be children, but yet they're still going to be our, our children, huh? They're going to be at an age where they're old enough to, to make their own choices. And that's when the bad choices they make will hurt. That's the father's pain. And yet at the same time, it's still their choice to make. And verse 13 says, And not many days after the young son gathered all together, everything that his dad had given him, and he journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Consider what this parable is telling us. Dad, I can't wait until you die. Give me what's coming to me. Dad, I'm an adult. It's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. Dad, I'm my own man. You might not like my choices, but they're mine. Imagine working hard to provide for yourself and your family and one day discover that your hopes and dreams were being wasted away on sin. That's what happened to this father. That's what happened to this man. He gave both their sons their inheritance, which means their livelihood. 
and the younger one wasted. Literally, the Greek word means he squandered it. On what? On loose living. Prodigal means wasteful. But look how verse 30 describes what the son was doing. It says, but as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. So it was wasteful, but it was also loose living. Seeing our children, dads, moms, take wrong turns in life, especially when we've been there and done that. Um, they hurt, huh? But, but as parents, I think what brings us even more hurt and fear is, is the bad choices, the consequences that the bad choices are going to bring. Notice when all the fun you know, had died down, when the money was spent, disaster hit in the form of a famine, a severe famine. A famine is a scarcity of food. And we've all seen those commercials of the children in Africa, right, who are affected by famine and how devastating that is. I remember the first trip we went to Cambodia as a church. We got to this spot, uh, um, and it just seemed like it was like the Raiders of the Lost Ark type of like environment. And, and ladies were coming to, up to our car, and they were, they were putting their babies in our car, asking us to take them because they couldn't feed them. Outside, it says that as the famine hit, the son began to be in want. We're going to read that all he had to do was come home, but like most cases with our children, they don't, huh? Look what he does. The son joined himself to a citizen of that country. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly fill the stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He joined the world. Instead of coming home, the ESV and the NIV both say he hired himself out. He sold himself out. And the Bible clearly tells us how in Mark 8, 36 and 37, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? One thing we should all learn, especially any young people here, nobody is going to love you like your parents do. Nobody. Like your father does. Your father in heaven. The, the world there, they're going to celebrate you. They'll befriend you. Only and up to when you can offer them something. When you have something to give them. You could almost picture this so-called citizen of the, of the world, of the country, traveling, is telling this helpless young man, oh, it's you. I don't have any room for you. Go hang out with the pigs. I think we have a picture there of the pigs. Or maybe not. Do we, Peter? No? Okay. There it is. Imagine that. Imagine your kids doing that. This son was so in need that the New Living Translation says that he was starving, that he would have gladly ate what the pigs ate if he could have. But he couldn't. In fact, it tells us that, that no one gave him anything. And, and I think that's the father's pain. The, the love and suffering go hand in hand, guys, when we're fathers especially when we're fathers of, of teenagers who think they're adults or of young adults who are, are making choices that, that we know are bad from. The reality of pain is a reality of love. A father hurts because he loves. J.B. Phillips said, we have a God who loves, that means we have a God who suffers. And nobody's going to bring us to suffering and to our knees like our kids. Amen?
It reminds me of what Jesus uh, did when he looked down on Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent her. Often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers his chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. We can grieve God. Ephesians 4.30 tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Pain teaches us that we love. Our children, they've been given free wills, and it's because of those free wills that as parents we suffer sometimes because we know that in order to get them to look up, they're going to probably also have to suffer. And that pains us. And just because we don't agree with their choices, or perhaps we have to separate ourselves because of their choices, we don't stop loving and we don't stop hoping for them, huh? That's the Father's pain. And I think it's the same as our Father in heaven. You know, He loves us so much that it hurts Him when, when, when we're, we don't walk in His will, we don't talk to Him, when we don't read His word, it hurts Him because He wants to direct them. You remember that old show, some of you guys weren't even born, but Father knows best? He, don't, he does. Father does know best. When we tell our kids something, we know. We know the consequences, but, but they don't listen. And that's, that's the reality of a father is the pain. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's continue reading verses 17 and 19. But when he came to himself, probably two of the most important verses in the Bible, 17 and 19. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The parable doesn't tell us about the father-son relationship, but again, we can assume Right? Notice when he finally came to his senses, he thought about his father. He thought about how his father's servants were living better than he was. He admitted to sinning and he was convinced that even though it wasn't going to be like it once was, being back with his father was going to be so much better even if it was just as a servant. And so that brings us to point number three, the father's joy. If we hang in there, if we hang in there, if we pray, if we hope, we have to believe that God loves our kids so much more than we do in that one day they'll come to their senses. I bet that even the parent of the son who's strung out on drugs, laying by the gutter, has hope that one day their son can also rise up. There is evidence in this room of men who have risen up and whose parents had never stopped praying and hoping for them. And when that day came, that was the father's joy, huh? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As parents, we could never stop hoping. We should never stop praying. We should never stop loving. One of the staple verses for our homeschool program is Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 21. I'll read it. It says, Therefore you should lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. 
like the days of the heavens above the earth. If you have small children now, fathers, point them to the Lord. Be an example. I love what Mark said, that the best way that they can have a relationship with the Father God is if they see the Father God in us. Point them. Have scripture. Share scripture with them. Read the scripture with them. Because Lord willing, if they do go off, and, and, and unfortunately most of the time, sadly they do, huh? They'll remember and they'll come back. The prodigal child was gone, yet evidently he remembered his father. And he said, I have sinned against you and all of heaven. So we can assume based on that that the, this, this prodigal son knew God. This prodigal son did have some affection to his father. He was cut to the heart. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That has to be the verse that, that, that anybody here who has a prodigal Hangs on to, huh? Praise. Rest in. Notice what we read next in verses 20 and 21. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just a side note, I was thinking as I was reading this, how many people say, I need God? I know, I know I need God. I should be closer to God. I, I should go to church. I should read the word. I should pray. I should, I should, I should. Yet they never do it. They never do it. It's as if they're stuck in quicksand. Yet this son not only thought about going to his father, he did. He thought it and then he acted on it. He didn't just vocalize it, he followed through with it. And I want to encourage anyone here, maybe you're just here because it's Father's Day and you came, and you know you need the Lord. The Lord is good and he loves you. And he, he knows best. Don't, don't get stuck in quicksand, come to him. It's not enough to know that God has a gift for you. You have to reach out and take it. Romans 2 4 says, Are you just do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But the father's actions here is a beautiful picture of a father. The type of father that we all need to be. I'll be honest with you, you know, I, there's pride in me as a man. You know, and I have a 24-year-old, he's not here yet, so I can just tell you everything. Um and there came some time where we butted heads. And as a man, I, I stood my ground and I got prideful. And I think that as men, we need to do that. We need to take a stand for righteousness. But, but don't let pride get in the way. Don't let anger, you know, block you from having a relationship. Because per, per, perhaps God is going to use your love. He's going to use your grace to draw him back. Draw him back to you one day. Just because our kids aren't with us now, or even though they, they, they've taken a different path, or perhaps we need to separate them because of the choices that they make, doesn't mean that, that we stop thinking about them, huh? That we stop loving them, that we stop praying for them, that we stop hoping for them. Look at verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You got to remember that in, in, back in, in these days, it was unbecoming of a father to run. You would never see a father running. And remember, they wore like tunics. So literally, this father had to like gird up his tunic to run. But he, but he ran. You think this father just so happened to be glancing at the direction of where his son was coming? I don't think so. I believe that as a father, we're always looking and we're always hoping for that day. It tells us that, that though this son was a great way off, other translations say he was a long way off. Another translation says he was a long way from home. The father saw him. That's, that's the hope. That's the joy of a father. I love when it says that he had compassion. I like how the New Living Translation translates it because it says he was filled with love and compassion. Compassion without love is just pity, huh? But because we love our children, our hearts break for them. They break for them because we love them. And it's the same thing because God loves us. He shows us mercy and he shows us grace. At this point, I don't think, I don't think the son needed to say anything. I don't think he needed to, to vocalize the fact that he had sinned against his father. But I like the fact that it's in here because it allowed the son to tell, tell his father his heart. Do you know that God knows everything in our heart? He knows everything in our heart, and yet it's still important to vocalize it to him. Not so much for him, but, but for us. We need to tell him. We need to repent. We need to confess our sins. Verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I believe that verses 17 to 19 are one of the most important verses in the Bible. But even more important is verse 20. But even more important than that is verse 21. I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's what God wants from us, guys. He wants humility. He wants us to know that he is God. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Matthew 23.12, Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's keep reading verse 22 and 23. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Notice the father doesn't respond to his son here. He doesn't respond to him. He doesn't chastise him by saying, you put me through hell. He doesn't tell him all the wrongs that he did. He doesn't say, where is my money? Right? In fact, he didn't say anything to his son. He just simply rejoiced because his son was home. The son went back as a hired servant, but the father wouldn't have no part of it. He said, get the best. Get the best for him. Get the best robe, the best ring, the best sandals, the best calf and let's have a party because my son was dead and now he is alive amen you guys see that that's all the father cares about that's all that we as fathers care about christian fathers that our sons know the lord that our sons humble themselves before the sight of god 
The Bible tells us in Luke 15, 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That's the Father's joy. John 5, 21 says, For as the Father raises his dead and gives life to them, even the Son gives life to whom he will. And John 5, 24 and 25 most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This son heard the voice of God. And because of that, he lived. So we close with the fourth and last point. Verses 25 and 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to his house, he heard music and dancing. Who says you can't get your boogie on, huh? Right? Like the father who was dancing, you know? There's dancing in the Bible. So he called one of the servants and asked what this thing meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and, and, and pleaded with him. This is amazing. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. But your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. We talked about the father's function, how you love and, and you care for your children. That's our function. That's our responsibility. That's our business, guys, to be the providers, to be the protectors, to be strong for our kids. We talked about the father's pain, the, 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 the suffering part of love. When you love, you suffer. And yet what that teaches us, that sometimes we got to let go. But we never lose hope. We talked about the Father's joy, that we rejoice when our children walk in truth and when, they, when they're alive. Point number four is the Father's love. Out of nowhere, the second son comes into the picture. But sadly, instead of being happy that his brother was back, he was busy thinking of himself, boo-hooing why he had never had a party. The son felt unappreciated and unrewarded, and instead of, of, of appreciating his father and being content with his father's love, his complaint suggests that he had resentment towards his father, that everything that he did which looked good on the surface was just pretense, that he was doing it out of a legalistic. Remember, the context of this is you have Pharisees and scribes on one side listening, and you have sinners, taxpayers, listening. So he's trying to teach them both something. He's trying to teach them about the father's heart. The fact that this the father begged him showed that the father wanted to include him, didn't he? He wanted to include him. Come on in. Join the festivities. Sit down. I have a seat of honor for you. But he refused. Warren Worsby pointed to the fact that the same father who, who ran out to meet the prodigal son also ran out to meet the hardened son. 
One person once said, God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because God loves us. And so are we like the prodigal son who's running away from God, who thinks of him only when he needs him? Or are we like the hardened one who's here out of a religious obligation, who checks their boxes, you know, of, of all the rules and obligations they got to keep in order to, you know, think that they've earned their salvation, their goodness. We all fall somewhere in between, guys. And I think what the Father is trying to teach, what Jesus was trying to teach is it's not about neither. It's about recognizing how good your Father is. All rebellion is against God first, whether it's rebellion on the legalistic fashion or it's rebellion that the, the prodigal showed. First Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is an iniquity and idolatry. It's been said that the beginning of men's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. How's your heart? How's your heart towards God? Are you thankful? You wake up in the day, in the morning, and just say, thank you, God, that I am still alive. Thank you that I'm still breathing. Thank you that I have a roof over my head, food in my belly. Thank you that I know you, that I've been forgiven by you. Thank you that I get to serve you. Because that says a lot of where we're at. That says a lot of where we fall. Isaiah 63, 9 and 10 says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of the presence saved them. And in his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and he carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. And he fought against them. God loves you no matter where you fall. But no matter what side you fall, you still need a Savior. If you're caught in sin, if you're a prodigal, if you've been running from God, you've got to rise and come to the Father. If you're too high and you're perch of legalism, you've got to humble yourself, come down to the Father. What's that saying? That the, 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 the ground at the cross is leveled. For every one of us, huh? We all need to do what the prodigal son did. Fall at the feet of God. If and when we do, he won't ever turn us down. In fact, if we surrender, he'll take us in as sons and as daughters. So you see, this isn't a story of the wayward son or the hardened brother. It's a story of a father's heart. Regardless of which one of his kids is in front of him, he loves them. John Calvin once wrote, For in setting forth his example of great compassion to be seen in man, he willed to teach us how much more abundantly we ought to expect it out of him. For he is not only a father, but by far the best and kindness of all fathers. As fathers, let us pursue this kind of love. But more importantly, let us look to our Heavenly Father who, unlike us, who fails, never fails. Let's point our kids to him. I want to close with a story of a man. It's a story of a fatherless man. No, I don't mean that he was conceived without a man. What I mean is that he never met his father. His father knew about him, but he never bothered to be a part of his life. When this man was a baby, ages one through four, he was just like any other child. Because of his age, he was innocent. 
He didn't know there was something different about him. He didn't realize that people felt bad for him or that he was the object of any conversation. And as this child became a boy, ages 5 to 10, he started noticing something was missing. That unlike other boys like his cousins and his friend at school, he didn't have a pair of parents. He just had mom. At that young age, this little boy began to wonder why. He thought to himself, what's wrong with me? And so as this boy was between the ages of 11 and 16, his life started to take shape. In order to cope with the fact that he was different, he started to convince himself that he was better off. He would point to the fathers he witnessed around him that fell short and would say, you see, I'm actually better off. I don't need a father. I could do this on my own. I'm my own man. Needless to say, this boy got in trouble, met the wrong crowd, and his life took a downward course. Disrespect dropped out of school, sex, drinking, drugs, crime. His mom tried, but because she was trying to survive herself and she was also caught up in the lifestyle of sin, she couldn't restrain him. Between the ages of 14 and 20, this boy now, a young adult, was so lost, he was so convinced that this course that he was on was all that life had to offer that he started to perfect his sinful lifestyle. He was heavy into stealing, dealing, Without any feeling, the parting got stronger and longer. He was so hardened that the thought of not having a father didn't even come into his mind. At age 20 to 21, the girl he had mistreated for so many years got pregnant. She had a baby, and this baby became his God. He loved this child, but only up to the limits that he knew how to love. He truly wanted this boy to have a better life, but because he never had a father, Never had someone to emulate. He just going, kept going through the motion. This man continued going through the motion from 20 to 33. And not out of nowhere, out of nowhere, guess who showed up when he least expected it? He discovered that his father had always been looking for him. It just so happened that this man just didn't want to be found. Now, this wasn't his biological father. This was his heavenly father. And by now, you've probably discovered that this man is me. And I don't tell you this to sensationalize this or even try to have you pity me. I tell you this because God is good. He's the father of the fatherless. I'm not sure where you are with your father. Perhaps you've had a good father. Perhaps you've had a worse one than me. But I want to encourage you that you get to know your heavenly father. Get to know him. Whatever baggage you come with, he still loves you. He'll always love you. And he'll work in your life to make it better. You know, for me, past Father's Days, to be honest with them, I just disregarded them. They were actually pretty cool. Because in my materialism, I thought I didn't have to buy a present for anyone, you know? It's kind of cool. Mother's Day, I'm like at the malls, right, on Mother's Day trying to shop or, you know, kids' birthdays or something like that. But for Father's Day, it's like I don't have to give anything to anyone. It was nothing to me. But today, Father's Day, man, I love Father's Day because of what it teaches me. It teaches me that I have a heavenly father who loves me. That even though I didn't know or I don't know my earthly father, that, that, that God is a father to the fatherless and that he loves me with all his heart. And it also teaches me an example of what I need to be, even though I fall so short as a father to my children. I need to provide for them. I need to love them. I need to nurture them. But when that day comes, when pain is real, 
when that day comes, when it hits you, I got to let go. I got to let God. And I got to keep holding on to hope. Because I believe that God loves my children so much more than I could ever love them. And that he is knocking and he's pursuing them with all his might. And that one day, if I continue to pray and hold on to hope, that like this prodigal son, they too will rise. They too will stand up to the Father. That gives me hope. And that is the Father's truth. That no matter what, He holds on to them.